All right, would you mind standing with me in honor of God's Word? One of the challenges of going through a book, we're going through the book of Acts, is it's illegal to skip passages that are difficult. And so this morning is a very difficult passage, but we're going to just jump right into it. Here we go. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits and All of them were healed. Would you join me, please? Lord, this is a difficult topic. Maybe the degree that it's difficult is also the degree of its importance. Would you come and would you speak? Would you hide me behind the cross? And could we see Jesus and hear Jesus? Lord, make things right in each of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is The Fear of the Lord. Point one is, what happened? This doesn't seem like it should be in the New Testament, does it? This is 
This is like Nadab and Abihu at the, the introduction of the tabernacle where they brought strange fire and fire came from the presence of God and they instantly died in his presence. And this is like Uzzah when they're bringing the ark back and instead of doing it the way prescribed in Leviticus, they're, they're doing it on an ox cart and, and the, the ox the cart stumbles and Uzzah reaches out. He's just there to guide it and he touches it and he instantly falls dead. And these are Old Testament stories. This is the Old Testament again and again repeats the theme of the holiness of God and the need to be careful in the presence of God. But, um, but Jesus died, and Jesus shed his blood, and now judgment for sin was on the cross, and now we're in this era of grace. So what on earth is this story doing in the New Testament? Why do we have people dying instantly in church because they lied to God? I mean, we can all see why people would be, hesitate to go to that church. It's like, whoa. So how do we think about this? Um, I think the best way to think about it is this is right at the beginning and Jesus is laying a foundation. Remember what Jesus said to the, to the apostles? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church He's building a church hell can't prevail against. And in Acts, he's laying the foundation for that church. A foundation is very, very important. And so let's just look at this whole incident and think about it. So it starts out with this testimony about Barnabas, who, who actually Barnabas is a nickname. His name is Joseph. But he sold this land, and he gave all the money, brought it to the apostles' feet, and clearly he was recognized by the apostles. They even gave him a nickname, Barnabas. He was esteemed by the apostles. And, and so Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they want to they be recognized. They want to be somebody. They want to make their way up in the political structure of the early church. And they want to be, be noticed by the apostles. So, so they're like, we, we should do something. So they sell this land. And I don't know, maybe they got more for it than they thought, but it was a lot of money. And it's like, you know, do we really have to give all of this money? We, we, need, to, we need to live too. And, but, but they, but they want to impress the apostles and they, they want to they wanna get full credit for making a sacrifice because that's what Barnabas did. And, and so they just they decide to take care of themselves and they're going to tell them that they made this huge sacrifice. And... Uh, And so they decide on this plan, and, and here's what it says. Peter says, Satan has filled your heart. What? What? They're Christians. They're not... You know what it reminds me of? When Jesus first announces 
that he is going to build his church. Remember, he says to Peter, you are the rock, and I'm going to build on, on this foundation that Jesus is the Christ, this revelation that he has received, and he's going to make Peter a key in, in the kingdom of God. And, and, uh, and then Jesus, this is Matthew 16, he corrects their, their uh, they've got their own idea of what Messiah is, and Jesus corrects their thought and says, uh, Messiah is going to suffer and die. This is the first time he mentions his death and his suffering. And r remember, Peter says, this will certainly not happen to you. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And then he says this, because you have in mind the interests of man rather than the interests of God. Not the interests of Satan, the interests of man, that, that man's desire, man's agenda, man's plan, when, when we're focused on that, the enemy uses that to bring his, he empowers it for his own purpose, his own thought, his own will. And Jesus, even at announcing the foundation of the church, uh, rebukes. Why? Why would the devil be right there? The devil's very concerned about foundations. A cracked foundation will eventually fall. That building will eventually fall. And so he wants in at the foundation. And Jesus is absolutely adamant. You have become a stumbling block to me. The very one called the Beaky. You, you're, you're in my way right now. Because of the interests of man. So here we have it again. We have the interests of man coming in. They're not thinking about the devil. They're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their own position. They're thinking about manipulation. They're thinking about uh, working their way up in the system and politics in the, in the church. And so uh, they are dealt with very, very sternly and very directly as a message to the whole church. Not just the church in that age, but the church in every age. This story is in Scripture for us. The church that Jesus is building, the one that hell will not prevail against, is not built on the interests of man and the agendas of man. It's built on the interests of God. What God wants to do, what God is desiring to do. It says that they, they lied to the Holy Spirit. These are Christians. <laughs> These are people that have the Holy Spirit. They have, they have been convicted by the Spirit as to what would be right, and they, they made a choice of which audience they were going to please, whether they were going to please God or were they that you can't see, or people that you can see, and they're right here, and these people are running things because they're the ones we need to impress, and they made a choice and God judged it sternly, severely, and instantly. Friends, this is a temporary judgment. I don't think anyone needs to envision Ananias and Sapphira for this sin went to hell. I, that, that's simply not on the table. Neither was it with Nadab and Abihu or Uzzah. God sometimes temporarily judges someone for his own greater purpose, and, and that, but you should never condemn them to hell because of that. No, these are, these are believers. They made a horrible, horrible sin, 
and they paid in temporary judgment. God is, is building a foundation today. He wants to raise up a church that hell's plans, the gates of hell are the, the strategies of hell that hell cannot prevail against. He wants to lay a foundation in your life, in my life, and in this church of the fear of the Lord. Point two, defining the fear of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. Therefore, this is Paul. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body, in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. So here is my simple definition of the fear of the Lord. Living for an audience of one. Paul says, whether in the body or absent, and in the context, what he's saying is, um, whether I'm on earth or in heaven, either one, I've got one goal, one ambition, and that is to please God. I want to be pleasing in his sight. He is the only one that I will give an account to. He is the only one that has the right to judge me. And so I will live either place in the presence of God, knowing that I only need to please him. And, he, and then he says, after he describes the believer's judgment, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. So it is living in the presence of of God, knowing that all of my life is bare before him, all of my motives are bare before him, to be in awe of that presence and to live for that audience, the fear of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. It's a messianic prophecy. It says in verse 1 that a root is going to grow up from, the, from the, the, a descendant of Jesse, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is speaking of Jesus. That Jesus had the sevenfold, he was anointed with the sevenfold Holy Spirit. And the last manifestation is that he is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And, and then it makes this comment. His delight was in the fear of the Lord. Now, I want to just say a couple of things here. First, Jesus said this. Jesus said in John 5, 19, here's how I live. I just do what I see the Father doing. I speak what he's speaking. I do the works of the Father. I am living for an audience of one. And it turns out that the fear of the Lord is almost the opposite of being afraid of God. It actually replaces and pushes out all other fears. The fear of the Lord, to live for that audience of one, you lose your fear of the economy, 
You lose the fear of the future. You lose your fear of what other people are going to think. You you lose your fear of the Pharisees. You lose your fear of the devil. You lose your fear of everything else because you're living in the presence of God. Now, I, I want you to see, it's really important today, that the Holy Spirit is the one that brings this right fear of the Lord. So you, you need uh, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You, with the Holy Spirit is the one that imparts this to us. This is not natural fear. This is uh, a sense and an awareness of the holiness of God, the, the, the presence of God, and this audience of one. Uh, uh, Proverbs 14.26 says, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. It leaves you very confident without any arrogance at all. This is the fear, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So I want to give you a couple stories from my life about the fear of the Lord. The first one is in 1981. It's in the, in the um, fall of 1981. It was when I was a brand new believer. I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know I was having an encounter. I didn't know God was speaking to me. But I'm just going to tell you how it happened. Okay, in, 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 the, in, the, in, the fall, in the spring of 1981, I came to Christ. I was in Celery Hall at the UW. I was a business major, and it was finals week, um, and I got saved. Somebody led me to Christ. My, my feeling is, is lots of people get saved during finals week. It's a time of tremendous urgency, a, a sense of needing God to come through. Um, got saved, uh, asked Christ into my life, and, and, and it was real. It was, it was very real to me that Christ came into my life at that time. But uh, it's finals week. I immediately leave to go home to Milton, Wisconsin, which is my hometown, and I get back with my, my old friends and my old habits and my old everything, and I, I've got a new belief, but I've got an old life. And I know it was real because I remember distinctly at a family reunion being with my favorite cousins around the, around the campfire, and I'm drunk. I can barely even see, and I am witnessing to them about Christ. I'm just telling them how real this is, and da-da-da-da-da, and I, you know, probably didn't go over great, but whatever. Um, so fall comes. Um, fourth floor celery at that time was an all men floor, and I had tried all summer long to get into celery A, which is guys and girls, and, but everything I did, I ended up back in the exact same dorm, exact same floor, with the exact same guys that led me to Christ right down the hall, and the same Bible study going on, and so I just jumped right back into that Bible study, and, and I just had a double life. I would literally go from Bible study with one group and then I would lead another group to the bars, and it was just, it was a double life all at once. And it all came to the head, to a head one fall weekend. I had been home in Milton that weekend, and I, I, I had returned. I'm all by myself in my, my dorm room, and I am contemplating how wonderful the weekend was. I had... I had won the city tennis tournament. Our family band had played. I played trumpet. We were, it was a great success. 
all of my friends were there. Everybody liked me. Everybody approved of me. And it just, I was just kind of reflecting about how wonderful life is. And I was confronted with a very, very clear thought. And here was the thought. You can either have this or God. Now, with that thought came a number of, a number of things became very clear to me. The first one was, was that if I went all in for Jesus, if I was all in for God, that this would not go over well with my family or my friends, and that there would be a lot of rejection. And the reason why I knew that was because we made fun of people that were Jesus freaks. And we define Jesus freak as somebody that talks about Jesus when it's not Sunday morning. There's a place for religion, but please keep it there. It's awkward to talk about God and talk about Jesus and God, God is dealing with me and God talked to me and God, 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 God. Keep it on Sunday morning. And I knew this, 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 this wouldn't go over well if I really, really followed Christ. So that was the first thing. That just became very clear that if I, was, if, I, if I really followed Christ, there was going to be lots of problems. Second thought, just as clear, was that it was, it was my choice which to live for. But in the end, it would only matter what God thought. It, it just was very clear to me that 100 years from now, it is not going to matter what my family thought about me, and it's not going to matter what my friends thought about me, and it's not going to matter what my boss thought about me. The, I will be in 100 years whatever God says I am. He's the only one that gets to d- decide who you are and whether your life was a good life or a bad life or whatever in between. It just became very clear. And, and I just knew there, there will be absolutely no regret for all eternity if I choose to live for God and for his opinion. So I decided. That's what I'm going to live for. Everything I ha- thought would happen, happened. Um, I, was, I started going against the grain of, of all of the, 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 the religion that was in my, my family and it was, I was Jesus freak, I was cult member, I, was, I mean, there was all kinds of thoughts about what has happened to Tommy. <clears throat> no regrets. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. I had an encounter with the fear of the Lord. Do you know what it says in Proverbs 16.6? It says, by the fear of the Lord a man departs from evil. And so I kind of experienced salvation in two pieces. I kind of first accepted Christ. I, I understood the gospel. I understood that he died for my sins. I understood that he was knocking on my heart. And I, and I received this gift of salvation. But I was still vulnerable. I was still very vulnerable. I was the seed that, that was planted. It was the word of God, and it did go into my heart, but it was still vulnerable because a time of testing could come, and it could be removed, or the cares and the worries of this world or the pleasures of this life could, could choke it out. I was still vulnerable until I decided that I'm all in, until I decided I'm just going to live for the one audience. I'm not going to try to live for both. I was vulnerable. 
And so are you. And so are you until you made that choice. Well, Pastor Tom, I accepted Christ. Okay, great. Have you departed from evil by the fear of the Lord? Have you chosen to live for the audience of one, or are you still trying to have it both ways? Because if you're trying to have it both ways, you are vulnerable. Enemy is very good at what he does. He wants to steal your faith. He wants to steal that which is most precious. To nail it down, to seal this thing, we have to have not just faith, but we have to have repentance. And now, it's amazing that today, at the end of the service, before we have communion, you'll have a chance to do that. If you're, if you're kind of in that in-between place, if, if, you're, if you're nowhere on the scale right now, if, if you're like before Christ, you'll also have a chance to accept Christ. That's going to happen before this service is over. So, fast forward, that's experience one. Here's experience two. This is 1995. It's late fall, probably November-ish. And at this time, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor. Uh, I've been a senior pastor for three years at this point. And I had a, a, an encounter with the fear of God that, that literally put a foundation in my, for the rest of my ministry. And I want to tell you about it. Somebody randomly sent me this article of a prophet's experience, and it was called The Hordes of Hell Are Marching. And it was about the judgment day, and it was about a heaven experience that he had where he got to interview people that had already been judged, but it was a specific group of people that he got to talk to. And they were people that had been in ministry, had been very, very successful in ministry in man's eyes. One was a contemporary and one was somebody from church history that was very successful in man's eyes. And, but they ended up in this place where uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 15, describes the believer's judgment. The believer's judgment is not about sin. Sin was already judged for a believer on the cross, praise God. It's about the, the believer's judgment, the reason why we stand before Christ and give an account, it, it's not for our salvation, it is for our reward. That all of our life, after we come to Christ, is going to be um, on display before him, and it will be revealed in that day. It says, by fire, whether we built with wood, hay, and stubble, these are things that can be planted and harvested by man, or with silver, gold, and precious stones, those things that last through fire, and those things that were born in God, birthed by God, that, that that day will reveal our works by fire. And then verse 15 says that some people's, all of their works will be burned up, even though their souls will be saved. The foundation is a gift. It comes from Jesus. It's not because of what you did. It's because of what he did for you, praise God. That, that's your ticket into heaven. But your reward is based on what you did, what you did. Did you do it with him for his glory or did you do it on your own for your own crowd or whatever, your own attention, your own whatever motives there are? And so he gets to interview these two guys that had huge ministries on earth but were in this place where they had lost all of their rewards. So I want to I read you two of, two of the people he talked to. He talked to many people, but I'm going to give you two and then I'm going to tell you what happened to me. Here's the first one. 
So there's prophets in heaven, and he's interviewing this guy in the line that he recognizes from life. He's a contemporary, and this guy says this to him. You are just one of many that I am waiting for. I did not understand until my judgment that you were one that I was called to help, to even disciple, but I rejected you. Sir, I protested. It would have been a great honor to be discipled by you, and I'm very thankful for the time I did have with you. But I was so arrogant. I deserved your rejection. I know that my rebellion and pride has kept me from ever having a real spiritual father. This was not your fault, but mine. It is true that you were prideful, but that is not why I was offended with you. I was offended because of my insecurity, which made me want to control everyone around me. I was offended that you would not accept everything that I said without questioning it. I then started to look for anything that was wrong with you to justify my rejection. I began to feel that I could not control you, that if I could not control you, that you would one day embarrass me and my ministry. I esteemed my ministry more than I did the people for whom it was given to me. So I drove many like you away, he said, with a genuineness that is unknown in the realms of earth, he continued. All children are rebellious and think that the world revolves around them. That is why they need parents to raise them. Almost every child will at times bring reproach on his family, but he is still part of the family. I turned away many of God's own children that he had entrusted to me, forgetting them for getting them safely to maturity. I failed with most of them. Most of them suffered terrible wounds and failures that I could have helped them to avoid. Many of them are now prisoners of the enemy. I built a large organization and had considerable influence in the church, but the greatest gifts that the Lord trusted to me were the ones who were sent to me for discipline, many of whom I rejected. Had I not been so self-centered and concerned with my own reputation, I would be a king here. I was called to one of the highest thrones. All that you have and will accomplish would have been in my heavenly account as well. Instead, much of what I gave my attention to was a very little true eternal significance. What looks good on earth looks very different here. What will make you a king on earth will often be a stumbling block to keep you from being a king here. Then he talks to another guy that he recognized from church history. Here's what this guy says. I am here because I made one of the gravest mistakes you can make as one entrusted with the glorious gospel of our Savior. Just as the Apostle Paul progressed from not considering himself inferior to the greatest apostles to being the greatest of sinners, I took the opposite course. I started out knowing that I had been one of the greatest sinners who had found grace, but ended up thinking that I was one of the greatest apostles. It was because of my great pride, not insecurity like our friend here, that I began to attack everyone who did not see everything just the way I did. Those who followed me, I stripped of their own callings and even their personalities, pressuring them to all become just like me. No one around me could be themselves. No one dared to question me because I would crush them into powder. I thought by making others smaller, 
I made myself larger. I thought that I was supposed to be the Holy Spirit to everyone. From the outside, my ministry looked like a smooth running machine where everyone was in unity and there was perfect order. But it was the order of a concentration camp. I took the Lord's own children and made them automations in my own image instead of his. In the end, I was not even serving the Lord, but the idol I had built to myself. By the end of my life, I was actually an enemy of the true gospel, at least in practice, even if my teachings and writings seemed impeccably biblical. If that is true, that you became an enemy of the gospel, how is it that you are still here? I questioned. By the grace of God, I did trust in the cross for my own salvation even though I actually kept other men from it, leading them to myself rather than to him. The Lord remains faithful to us even when we are unfaithful. It was also by his grace that the Lord took me, took me from the earth sooner than he would have, just so that those who are under me could find him and come to know him. I could not have been more stunned to think that this was true of this particular man. History had given us a very different picture of him. Reading what was going on in my heart, he continued, God, God does have diff a different set of history books than those on earth. You have had a glimpse of this, but you do not yet know how different they are. Earthly histories will pass away, but the books that are kept here will last forever. So I'd been in ministry for three years. Uh, in, as a lead pastor for three years. But I think this was the first time I experienced the genuine prophetic. As I read this, it was like a sword pierced my heart. I, wa I, was, I was completely undone. There was not a sin that these guys committed, and there were several others too, that I was not guilty of. That I, I was all about success, all about having a big ministry, all about, and what was at the heart of it was a mix of insecurity and pride. I was completely undone before God. And I, I said, God, I want to own right now that there are probably no rewards for me right now. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm okay. Thank, thank God I'm saved. But I, I'm, I, I want to start over. I, I, want, I, I don't want to propagate this thing anymore. Wouldn't it be horrible if God had to take you home as a mercy so the people under you could find Christ? Anyway, um, I'm like, dear God, let's, let's start over. Let's start right now. I, I want the insecurity and pride out. I want to do this your way. I, I want to live for something greater than my ministry. Now, now, I get it. I'm a minister, so these testimonies are very, very relevant to me and what ministers go through and the thoughts ministers have. And most of you are not ministers, and so you've got a different thing. But let me tell you something. God wants to go into your heart today and remove insecurity and pride because they're going to leave you with nothing. They're going to, they might get you something down here, but you'll have nothing there. And God, God wants to change it today. 
God wants everything that we do down here to stand in that day. He wants us to have a full reward. Of course, the greatest reward is just being pleasing to him. And we can do that every single day. And it accumulates fruit for us in heaven and in heaven's history books. And those are the ones I want to live for. So that was defining the fear of the Lord. Now we go to our last point before we have communion. It sounds like we got a young disciple crying out to God. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. So I was going to start this service with a YouTube of a man who I consider a true prophet of God today. His name is Chris Reed. I've seen him minister down in uh, Kansas City at IHOP in the word of knowledge, like, uh, I've live, uh, uh, and I was watching it on a YouTube, but to see somebody in our day calling people out by their phone number and then knowing their name and then that's this person, this person, this their whole family gets named and then they give the word of the Lord. To see revelation at that level is stunning. To see people collapsing under in tears as God reveals the secrets of their heart, it's just, it's just beautiful. And uh, so I believe this man is, is, a, is a true prophet of God. But he was given a dream in December of 2020 and I want to tell you about it. In this dream, he is taken to heaven. And an angel um, leads him to this um, building. And when he gets in it, he realizes this is a library. This is a library in heaven. And just like libraries down here, each section has a title on it. And there is one section that is titled The Supernatural. And he goes into this this, uh, the, the books here, and there's one that's sticking out to him that's on the sevenfold Holy Spirit. And it grabs his attention because that's what he's been preaching on is, is Isaiah 11, the very scripture that I read. And so he pulls this book out on the sevenfold Holy Spirit, and the cover says, The Spirit of the Lord. And he opens it up, and there are five pages inside. They're very thick. He said each one was like a book inside of the book. The, the first one was the spirit of wisdom, and then the spirit of understanding, and then the spirit of counsel, and then the spirit of might, and then the spirit of knowledge, which is the spirit of intimacy, we would say. And those are the five pages in the book, and he closes it on the other side, and the back cover is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And so he's got this book in his hands, and he looks up, and, and uh, he looks back down at the book, and all he has now is the cover. It's just the cover. It's just the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Where, where did the rest of the book go? And the angel speaks to him. And here's what he says. This is all most spirit-filled churches in America have today. All they have is an atmosphere for the, for the presence of the Lord. He said, the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord is not just the back cover, but it is the binding that holds the whole book together. 
He said, without a recapturing of the, of the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the church will go without all five of those. That, that the, the glory and the power that is released, the spirit of might is, the spirit, is, is miracles, and, and the revelation, and we talked about the word of knowledge. Those things all end up corrupting us if there's not a proper fear of the Lord. The thing about Acts chapter 5, not only do we have this stunning story of Ananias and Sapphira, but the few verses after it are the greatest manifestations of glory and power in the New Testament church. Miracles are, 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 are being done in such a way that people are bringing their sick into the streets, their demon-possessed into the street, those who have mental illnesses into the street, those who are suffering from all kinds of diseases. They're bringing them into the street so that Peter's shadow will touch them. And then this stunning verse, that as Peter's shadow would touch them, all of them were healed. They were instantly delivered. This is a level of power and glory that is unprecedented, really, anywhere else in the, uh, in the, in the early church. It's certainly, Jesus carried it all the time, but this is the early church. Acts 9.31, which we did not look at, it says that the church grew in both the comfort of the Holy Spirit and in the fear of the Lord. The spirit of the fear of the Lord was upon them. And, and because it was on them, there, it was on all of the surrounding towns, this, the fear of the Lord was on them. So we've had several people have visions, some have had dreams of the day coming to City Church where ambulances will pull up at that door because so many miracles will be happening here. So many divine things will be happening that, uh, and they've already tried doctors. They've do doctors have done everything they could and there is no hope unless God does a miracle and that people will, will literally, will have to make a way to bring the sick into this place. I believe that will happen. But make no mistake about it. It's not going to happen unless the fear of the Lord first is imparted to us. God's not going to grant that love. I mean, I'm not saying miracles aren't happening now. Lives are being changed. My, oh, my. Those young people that testified last week, don't tell me that wasn't miraculous. It was God, God, God touching any of us at any time is miraculous in any way. And, and, and we've seen some healings and some deliverance, but there is a whole nother level that God wants to pour out. He wants to trust us, but there has to be more of this spirit of the fear of the Lord. So here's what I want to do. Um, worship team can come back. And I want, to, I want to get us ready for communion. So the, I've got two prayers to pray. The first one is, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes and bowing your head for just a moment. Um, maybe you find yourself here today because of a friend or a family member or you, for whatever reason, you just got up and came to this church today and you didn't really know why. Well, I believe it's a divine appointment. 
Here's what the Bible says. God's way holier than you think he is, and you're way more sinful than you think you are. And that's why there's, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't be religious enough. We can't do enough good deeds to save ourselves. To save us, God had to take on human form. He had to live as a human being. The wages of sin, our sin, your sin, was death. Death meaning separation from God forever. Jesus had to come and he had to become a man, live a perfect life, and then offer himself as the sacrifice for our sins. The Bible tells us that Jesus didn't, Jesus said, nobody took my life from me. I chose to lay it down. He, God the Father sent him out of love and, and the Son gave his life out of love for you. The Bible says that, that it was for the joy of those that would come in that Jesus endured the shame and the suffering of the cross. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be his child. He wants you to be in heaven. That's why he came. That's why he did what he did on the cross. Today the Bible says, Jesus himself says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. God will not push your door down. God will only knock. And I believe he's knocking today. He is knocking, but he leaves it to us to open that door. He leaves it to us to make that choice. And uh, if he is knocking on your heart today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is deeply personal. It's between you and Jesus. If he is knocking today and you want to open the door, Somebody help me open my door. So I like to help other people open their door. It's just, it's a simple prayer that we pray. But if that is you, Jesus is knocking and you want to open your door today to him, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it. See that hand and that hand and that hand. God bless you. And that hand and that hand. God bless you. And that hand in the back of the balcony and this hand over here and this hand on this side of the balcony. God bless you. Okay, and everybody that's got their hand up can put those down for just a moment. Is there anybody else by upraised hand you want to be part of this? Jesus is knocking and you want to respond to him today. Anybody else? You're, you're a sinner that needs a savior and you want to respond to him today. Anybody else by upraised hand? All right. Everybody that raised their hand, if you just slip your hand over your heart right now, and here's the prayer. You pray it in your own words. Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I fall short of you on my own, but I believe that you love me. I believe that you came into this world and died a horrible death on a cross to take the judgment, God's judgment for my sin. Thank you for doing that for me. Lord, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're alive today and you've been trying to get my attention. Well, you've got it today. I hear your, your knock. I hear your dealings. And Lord, right now, by faith, I open my door. Come in. Save me. Forgive me. Wash me. I receive your gift of eternal life. Now, if you just keep your hand on your hearts, this is a really important prayer. I want to pray for you, Lord. I can lead people in a prayer, but only you can give them a witness that you've heard this prayer. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you warm their hearts? Would you 
Let them know in their deepest knower that you have heard this, that Jesus is not just the Savior, but he's their Savior. Personalize it, Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. And then if we could all stand to our feet. In just a moment, we are going to have communion together. And so if you didn't get by, by both doors, there's this little communion kit. If you, during this song, you want to just slip out and grab one and come back, you can have communion with us. If you're online, run and get crackers and juice. But before we, before we uh, do this song and, and have communion, Paul said, I don't want anyone to take communion in an unworthy way and unworthy of the sacrifice Jesus made in. And so maybe you're here today and you just, you've been living two lives. You've been living for two audiences. You are part God and part what everybody is thinking about you. And God is, the fear of the Lord is on you today. You want to depart from evil and you want to fear God and and get rid of this other audience. I just want to pray for you right now. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, it's a horrible life to have two lives, to have a church life, a church people, a church friends, and this other life where I'm doing my own thing and everybody thinks I'm a partier or a whatever it is, that I'm trying to impress these people and trying to be cool and fit in with them. And Lord, it's, a, it's just a disaster and it's, it leads to great unhappiness. Anyway, we, we want to repent of that. We want to repent and follow you, Jesus. We want to be all in for the audience of one. Break the hold of every other audience. Forgive us for being double-minded. Holy Spirit, come. Make me aware that I only need to please you. Amen. So I realize that today is July 4th and we're all grateful to live in a free America, but... America is almost completely destitute right now of the fear of God. And the idea that the fear of God will ever come back to our culture without it first coming back to the church, it's ridiculous. God wants to impart the fear of God again to his people. God wants to turn around what's happened in America. I believe this with all my heart, folks. The fear of God will come again to America. America will know before this thing is over. That, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is the Savior. But we need an impartation. We need something only the Holy Spirit can give us. We need it individually, but we also need it as a church. Can you courageously ask God for the spirit of the fear of the Lord right now? Would you, would you join me? Lord, I, I, I know why Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. It is, it is the place of the ease of heaven. It, it, it turns out that everybody else is really hard to please, but you're, you're really easy to please. We just try to do the right thing, try to do the honoring thing to you and, 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 and to, to live in your presence. And you're, you're easy to please and hard to satisfy. But God, I pray for an impartation right now in my own heart and in this congregation of the fear of the Lord. Would you... Let your glory be on our lives in such a way that we kind of lose track of what everybody else is thinking about us and what, what's, what's all going around us that seems so important and all the news that's coming out. And Lord, let all of that be small compared to 
oh my, I'm in the presence of God. And I'm, I'm getting up in the presence of God. And I'm going to bed in the presence of God. And, and I only have to please him every day. Lord, impart the fear of the Lord to us individually, to city church. God, impart the fear of the Lord again to your church across this land. And then, God, we are believing a day is coming when once again people will be afraid of the church and like, I, 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 God is in that place. God is that. You need to be serious. If you're going to go there, you need to be serious. And that this would be a place again that would be an answer for when miracles are needed, when deliverances are needed, that this would, this would be a place where desperate people would come and say, I, I need something only God can do, but I know I've heard God's doing stuff here that God only could have done. Jesus, would you once again, Holy Spirit, would you make Jesus once again the talk, not just of the church, but of the bars. Lord, increase your glory, increase your presence. Do things in our day, in our time, that only you can do. Grant us as a church to be wholehearted for you and in love with one another. Lord, I pray that you'd root out insecurity and pride. Give us a new beginning as of today. No mistakes in it. All forgiven. Lord, let there be silver and gold and precious stones because we're living for your glory, trying to please you. Help us, God, we pray. Give us a great 4th of July. Thank you, God, for the your mercy and letting up on the pandemic in America. And God, we're still praying for other countries, but God, thank you. We never want to take our freedom for granted. Thank you for all of your blessings. Let us enjoy you today, I pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.